welcome to GuestCast. Tune in and listen as we speak to global education experts about the latest trends, challenges and stories that matter. Hello and welcome to another GuestCast episode. We're delighted to be joined by Rachel Price, teacher and founder of Education Yalla. Rachel also contributes regularly to guest talks with inspiring articles. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. How have you been doing and how's your summer break going so far with just a couple of weeks to go before schools open again for the new academic year? Thank you for having me. Um, it's been an interesting break. Uh, Dubai is actually really, really quiet at the moment, but it was really cool to be able to get out of the city for a little while, just for a few weeks of travel as well. Obviously, after a, a whirlwind of an academic year for you and I know you're bouncing between teaching and running your startup. Education Yella must have been challenging to say the least. So we're glad to hear that you've managed to take a break and recharge ahead of, of the start of the new year. And talking about new starts, are there any new initiatives or projects that you're currently working on? Um, I'm currently in talks with a few people about potential collaborations uh, from the UK and also from here. Can't say much about it yet because I've had to do the usual NDAs and things <laughs> like this. But I'm hoping that that's all going to come to fruition fairly quickly. Uh, it's the usual bit. Summer is wind down time for everybody. And then suddenly in the last two weeks of August, it suddenly picks up with a whirlwind's pace. That sounds very exciting. And we look forward to hearing <laughs> about further updates uh, about you know the programs that you're working on in due course. Obviously, once they're, they're developed and, and you're ready to share information. Rachel, we've acknowledged how crazy the past 18 months or so have been. And while we've come a long way since then and have overcome many obstacles, what do you think is the biggest challenge that educators are still or currently facing at the moment? I think one of the biggest challenges that we're going to face in the next few weeks is actually physically getting kicked back into classrooms. And I say that because I think parents are going to have seen what's going on in the news they're going to have seen that the numbers have gone up slightly or bits and bobs going around and children are also anxious about getting back into the classrooms they might want to be able to go and see their friends but it's that bit of being confined to a classroom mm -hmm. and not necessarily knowing how the school is going to work its structure you know I've, I've seen many different blended versions of this over the last academic year and I know that kids are anxious about it. I know staff are anxious about it, but I think it's up to the parents to see if they can get them physically back into the classroom as well. Agreed. And as difficult as it was to get the schools and students ready to conduct online learning last year, I think having them fully return to school, as you said, while ensuring their safety and, and that of all the teachers and staff members must be even more challenging. I must say, though, that the transition of most schools to hybrid learning in the past academic year has at least given us some sort of a roadmap to base the full return of students to schools on. And we've got full confidence in our schools and brilliant education community to hopefully make it happen as smoothly as possible. And talking yeah. about schools, Rachel, what measures can they put in place to help support educators overcome these challenges? I think one of the key things that I noticed when I was working in schools last year was the fact that the workload was supposed to have got lighter for teachers. Actually, I would say it actually got worse, harder, because you might be actually dealing with three different scenarios, you know, on on a day to day basis. So you'd have I mean, I'll put this into my context. I'm working in a school. I've got those students who are face to face in front of me who are constantly asking questions. You know what they're like. You've got, of course. They've got 
face to face. <laughs> They're going to ask you the questions. You've then got those children who are online, okay, who will not necessarily respond. I mean, one of the biggest things that we noticed with tech is the fact that it actually closed down communication for some students. They were like, hey, do you know what? I can just type a message. Well, actually, <laughs> no, we need you to speak. We need you to communicate. We need you to participate. And you're also developing a lesson that A is face to face. So you have the resources in front of you. B, you have to expect or hope that those children at home might be able to access, access those resources. And then thirdly, you had those students that actually didn't engage. So you've then got that additional chase up and that follow up process. So I would turn around and say that from last year, it was hard going for teachers. Um, one of the things that I would love to see coming out of this year is the fact that schools take a proactive stance on getting kids back in face to face so that we actually can focus on those students. I would say I've seen it done with one or two schools here in Dubai. They actually went down the line that if you were being educated off site online, that you had a separate designated teacher who would oversee a cohort of students and they were given information by the lead class teacher. And that was what that was then delivered. And that meant that the class teacher then had the um, complete headspace to be able to focus on those students face to face. That to me was the way to go. That's a great and very valid point that you've just made. And I sincerely hope schools consider the approach that you've recommended to ensure that all students, whether they choose to learn online or in person, really fully benefit. And now on to the next question, which I would guess might have multiple possible responses. But Rachel, what do you enjoy the most about working in education? Um, well, I've been in education for ooh, 20 plus years now. Um, and I'm going to say it's daily interactions with kids, but also with staff. It's learning from the kids and knowing that my um, teaching actually does have impact on lives. I'm still in communication with a number of students that I've taught like 15, 16 years ago. And, oh, they wow. still want to tell, yeah, and they still want to tell me what's going on in their lives. And so I love being part of this community of education, but also involved in change, ultimately. That's, that's brilliant. And I'm not surprised to hear that. Most of our guests, in fact, have had the same response. And it just shows how inspiring and, and rewarding being an educator is you said that you enjoy being part of a community and i think there's no better community to be part of than the education one and this past year and a half i think proved how amazing and resilient and, and together our education community is yeah i think it's been incredibly important for students to realize that teachers are humans as much as for us to turn around and go hey do you know what this is not easy for them as well as in the students and that we need to change sometimes the way that we approach uh, individuals as well. Of course, of course. And Rachel, so far we've been focusing on your role as a teacher, an educator, but what about your company, Education Yalla? Can you tell us a little bit more about it and what made you start it? Yeah, certainly. So as I said, I've done 20 plus years in education and I've had a variety of roles within it. So whether that's been as design and technology teacher, head of department, pastoral lead, innovation lead, STEM coordinator, whole host. And during that time, part of what I've seen and skills gap between what we were teaching in schools and the actual skills needed for success in work life. 
And so, unfortunately, those two elements, those two uh, sectors, if you like, haven't necessarily kept pace with each other or in line. So Education Yalla came about as a way to support students in personal, social health and well-being. That's wonderful. And we wish you all the best taking Education Yalla to where you envision it to be. You've mentioned that you've been working in education for over 20 years have you ever felt exhausted by what you do, uh, that you're at a low point in your career or quite frankly wanted to perhaps give up? Can you tell us about such an incident um, or time in your career? And yeah. more importantly, <laughs> <laughs> just like everyone, exactly. But more importantly, how did you you know, overcome these uh, challenges or difficult times in your career and what did you learn from it? Okay, so um, about 12 years ago, I guess it is now, what are we? 2021 yes is about 20 years ago um i actually was at a point in school i've been in one particular school for about four or five years and was doing incredibly well enjoying it loving it and all the rest of it but was getting a little bit disillusioned with the next steps if that makes sense um yeah. and i two things occurred the first thing that was quite a major thing for me, well, both of them were quite major, but the first thing mm. that was major for me was I was actually diagnosed with a health condition that affects 25 people in the world per year. Really, really random. And so it actually put me in hospital for a week. Um, oh, wow. with, then, yeah, with then the line from the doctor, from the oncologist saying, you can't work for the next two months. You need to slow down. You need to do all of these things. And I was like, I can't do that. I'm just, I'm training for triathlons. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And so it was one of those moments where life actually went, hey, you're stopping. Um, and so I was like, mm, I'm not sure. I, I, I need to take some time out. So that was sort of like a mental stopping point, if you like. But the added part to that was just prior to that, I'd been in London. Um, I'd gone to the London Boat Show. And I actually had signed up for Clip Around the World, which is a, an amateur sailing race that happens every two years. Oh, wow. Last year and all the rest of it. And I'd already signed up. So I fall ill in the April, get told, slow down, take time out, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm on training over the summer break back in July, August time. And so I'm literally thinking, what do I do with this? I've already signed for it. I've gone with it. I've got a major sort of hiccup, if you like, stepping stone that I need to get over. And with this condition, it was at that time, it was, it basically made your body stop. I was sleeping 12 hours a day. I was just not generally very well, all of those things. But it was a big mind shift for me to have to go, hey, do you know what? Time to slow down. But there was this real big challenge in the back of my head going, OK, in 2009, 2010, I'm going to be on this yacht. I'm going to be sailing. Mm. Um, so th that was the first sort of major thing with it. The second part was that actually, as I said, I was in a sort of a lull at school thinking, well, what do I do? I'd already signed for this race provisionally at that point and had said, OK, I talked it through with colleagues and they were like, do you know what? You really need to go with this. This is something that is extraordinary. You should go um, and beneficial to you, but also beneficial to the school. And unfortunately, um, my head at the time didn't see that in the same light as I did. Um, so 
2009-2010 I actually left um, having been given the ultimatum to either stay in school and work and continue in the roles that I was doing. I was pastoral lead at the time or to go and join Spirit of Australia and sail partly around the world. I went sailing. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you've only known me for a short time, but you might get an impression. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Most importantly, you know, we all hope you're you're feeling a lot better and uh, oh, that you've well, overcome I've, your I've health condition. For a long time now, so yeah, it's good going. <laughs> it doesn't stop me. <laughs> that's that's great to hear, and it must have been really hard being put in that position. I'd imagine and having to make that decision i at least hope it was worth it and fingers crossed it went well and you ended up winning uh, well, in the competition we did so actually oh, really? in, yeah in 2009 i went into and joined spirit of australia um so if you want to google it it's clip around the world i actually flew out to jamaica i joined spirit oh, wow. of australia in jamaica and we did jamaica new york nova scotia ireland netherlands and back to the uk and we won um it was incredible um my mum and my grandmother actually came out to meet me in ireland and in kinsale beautiful 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 part of um southern ireland and i said i got off the yacht and was like i'm really sorry she was like i know i went you You need to sign for the next one don't you and i was like uh yes Um, (laughs) in two years time i'm going to be doing this again if that's okay um, and so I did in 2011-12, I actually ended up joining London Dairy after several changes and things like this in San Francisco and then did San Francisco, Panama, through the Panama. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was incredible. Um, and then Panama North all the way up to New York. That's, it was incredible. It was crazy. I, that's I amazing. Yeah, I've sailed through the Bermuda Triangle twice. I've uh, it just those memories were worth taking the risk of jobs, if that makes sense. That's incredible. And, and how big of uh, a team did you have uh, with you sailing, if you don't mind me asking? Well, OK, so you have to picture this. It's a 68 foot racing yacht and they are they're basic in the sense that a racing yacht doesn't have any luxury to it and things like this. Um, the first crew that I was on with Australia was about 18. I then in the second race that I did, I was originally, um, allocated to Qingdao, China, random connection, but that was where it was going to go. And they were looking at again, probably about 18 crew. When we'd got to San Francisco, I was actually, there was a big team meeting because there's 10 yachts averaging Mm. 18 also crew per yacht and um the message went out of does anyone want to change yachts because we have space on legendary londonderry um they've only got a crew of 13 and could do with some extra hands and i was like hey do you know what we're going to be going down into the panama we're going to be going into hot tropical weather it's going to be still it's going to be do i want to be on a boat with lots of people or do I want to be on a yacht that actually got a little bit more space I was like I haven't done much training with Qingdao I know them but I haven't done that much training I'll um, do a quick swap over and I have to be honest it was great I learned so much sailing with Londonderry legendary as they were called we didn't win 
by any means, but I think because there was less of us on board, I actually had I more start. opportunity to learn more. Of course, and I think it's probably that camaraderie that you built with the team, uh, especially if it's smaller. Um, yeah, with, yeah. With, you, would you, be great. you have to be much more involved in it. If you if there's too many of you, you can sit on the periphery, you can sit on the outside and not actually contribute that much. Whereas when you've got less of you involved, um, you have to get involved. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And congratulations on, on the win as well. <laughs> and what about your career high, Rachel? I'm sure you've hit many, but are there any in particular that you're perhaps most proud of? Um, it comes back to students, actually. So watching what they've gone on to know and achieve and some of the choices, you know, um, as I said, I've been lucky enough to keep in touch with a number of my students over the years. And, you know, I've got one or two that have actually kept me very full informed on what they've been going on with. I had one particular student who was offered an internship with Vivian Westwood after her degree. And it was prior to uh, her coming into school. She never touched a sewing machine in her life. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So when we started in year nine, um, she was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do textiles. And I was like, well, look, you're going to have to make a decision to options. I said, one of the biggest things you're going to have to decide is if you can put up with me for the next couple of years, because <laughs> I'm going to be a textiles teacher. And she was like, mm, OK, let's have a go. Um, and so she was actually my star student, went on to college, then went on to university and was offered a an internship with Vivian Westwood. Um, it, incredible. I've had students who've gone on to Lotus F1 teams as part of their development teams. And I also have had one student who currently ex-student who's currently in the States, and she was part of the Hillary Clinton and, I never say his surname correctly, Pete Butterleg, I never say it correctly, I know I've got that wrong, and also <laughs> the Joe Biden campaign. You know, when you've got students and they're oh, wow. posting and they've got their photos next to these key people, you know, you sit there going, wow. And I was like, this is incredible. And it is. She, she messaged me back and went, Yep. Remember those days in school? I was like, yes, debate. <laughs> <laughs> we had them. Um, so, yeah, it's it's those sorts of things that have happened over the years. And also the reactions I get when I talk about the fact that I've sailed or the fact that I was an ex-chef in my previous life before I came into education. Oh, or really? Wow. Yeah. And those sorts of things. And there's always one piece of gossip that goes around schools. It's one of those things that just somehow it comes up with who have you taught? Have you taught anyone famous and things like this in schools? And I was <laughs> at random point of life many, many years ago, Thomas Mills High School back in the UK. I was actually Ed Sheeran's tutor. Oh, really? Um, was, yes. Um, <laughs> and so the kids are like, oh, what was he like? I was like, hmm quiet <laughs> not, much, not much to go on at school at that point and they're like oh but surely he sang all the no no didn't actually do any of that um so yeah it's, it's it's those are the highs when you get kids involved and they suddenly see that bigger picture if that makes sense and the fact that they realize that you're human as well of course that's wow that's really truly amazing and <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I, I wish I was half as talented as you are. It seems like you can do it all. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but there are random moments in life. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And this takes us to our next question, which you might have already answered. Um, if you weren't working in education, what career would you choose if you could do anything? Is it safe to assume that it would 
relate to cooking or scuba diving or sailing? Um, or have I got it's it wrong? Relate, no, it's going to relate to education. It's going to relate to education. Um, there's a real geeky part of me. My actual dream job would be to be in F1. Um, not driving. I hasten to drive. <laughs> I'm a good driver, but I'm not that good. Um, is actually talking and putting together um, programs on STEM and sustainability, because I think those are key elements that we need to be looking at currently. Um, but also that that as F1 as a platform would be just incredible. Just incredible. Wonderful. I guess I was wrong. It really amazes me to hear <laughs> the responses of our guests to this particular question. It always brings out some fantastic answers, some completely out of the blue and unexpected. Likewise, with the next question, Rachel, if you could speak to your younger self, what one piece of advice would you offer her? Uh, don't put yourself in a box. Remember to learn, grow and evolve and that change is actually okay. The journey of education career life etc is not a straight path um and the actually it's going to have its ups and downs and you can go with it it will work out in the end agreed this is a great piece of advice thank you for sharing it with us and on to our final question which relates back to education where do you see the future of education and what do you personally hope for in the future um, I've got two points on this one, really. So the first one is that we need the development of or more development of remote learning. And now that it's been available, as long as we have access to devices and Wi-Fi, that we need to consider the fact that we're designing to live and learn in communities and that we do this the best as we feel so that we belong to those communities. One of the things, as I said previously, um, which was a downside of online learning this year, is that for some students, they actually had this as a way to step away from participating and engaging. So we need to be able to continue those social interactions and connections. And that takes a lot when we're pushing a world of remote learning. It, it takes a lot from us as individuals, but also in the programs that we develop and deliver. And I think that needs to be a big focus for the next I was going to say academic year, but I think it's an ongoing. It's not just a one year turnaround on this. Um, and the second thing is that actually I think exam boards need to move forward. We've just had two years of online learning. And for a lot of the exam boards, they didn't want or facilitate for students to sit exams. But we're still teaching programs, courses, education systems that require students to produce and sit an exam at the end of the day. Um, is it fair that some of them did and some of them didn't? Is it fair that some of them had the opportunity to sit it if they wanted and some didn't? I, I, I think exam boards need to consider, you know, what schools are providing, how students are then access, accessing their education and coming up with some options to make it a little bit of a level playing ground, if you like, in this. Because the other point of contact with that is the fact that workforce, unfortunately, are going to look at this last two years and go, well, you didn't sit exams. How do we know that what you've got as your qualifications are justified? That's a very valid point. And unfortunately, that brings with it the end of this GuestCast episode. Thank you so much, Rachel, for your time. We really enjoyed chatting with you and looking forward to doing so again in the near future. We're also really excited to welcome you as one of our valued speakers at Guest Dubai in November. 
until then, please take care and stay safe. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Thank you, Rachel. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining this week's guest cast. Make sure you visit our website, guesteducation.com, the essential resource for educators to subscribe to the podcast and to enjoy the latest education news.